welcome to Matt Bradburn, co-founder of The People Collective. Um, he's owned talent and people strategies and, and functions for many, many years in tech companies now, including Pecon, Lyft, and Qubit throughout the years. Um, and he's now founded his own company called The People Collective um, to guide VC company, VC-based companies um, when it comes to kind of setting up their people functions and, and building and scaling in those early stages. So welcome, Matt. Lovely to see you this morning. Hey, Marissa. Thanks so much. Uh, so, so it's a very kind intro. And yes, it was. Uh, uh, I had to do it at some point, right? I had to go and start my own thing eventually. Uh, it would have been rude not to be working, uh, working with so, so many entrepreneurs and uh, kind of helping them uh, to scale. You kind of have to do your own thing at some point and, uh, and bite the bullet. Um, but yes, uh, apologies for the technical difficulties my end as well. Uh, the joys of uh, looking after an 18-month-old toddler, uh, a kitten, and a Mac update. Uh, really, uh, it's, a, it's a great combination. <laughs> All at the same time before you've even had your breakfast. Full disclosure, uh, yeah. there is a 50 kilogram dog lying on my right foot as we speak. So if at any point she kicks off because of a noise that she hears, you've been warned in advance. So you've talked a little bit about the, the craziness of this morning. How is everything going for you at the moment? It's actually pretty good. I think the um, I, I've been very lucky uh, in that, uh, the, you know, the kittens really raised our spirits uh, across the board, apart from when she attacked your ankles. Um, and, <laughs> And, and actually, it's uh, it's very nice having a toddler who who has no idea what lockdown means, what furloughing means, uh, and is just generally pretty happy with the world. Uh, so that's always nice. Good good, good, to, good way of keeping positive. And in your career, Matt, have you always been in people-focused roles or talent-focused roles? Yeah, so I guess, I, I mean, I, I started like everyone else, right? I, I fell into recruitment, I fell out of university during a recession fell into recruitment because it was pretty much the only thing available. Um, starting out uh, in, in a storage unit uh, above a uh, above a fruit shipping company, which let me tell you Sounds was hell really glamorous. Oh, yes. <laughs> All the glamour, right? If you wanted uh, if you wanted extra office space, you just got out the uh, sledgehammer and knocked through to the next storage unit, uh, which is what we did. <laughs> uh, it was that. It was all fun and games, but uh, uh, I think you know, as many people in house do, they kind of get. Um, get that itch from recruitment agencies and want to go and see what it's like to actually help a company scale and, and kind of be a part of something there. Um, so I was you know, no different to, to, to everyone else. And that was what prompted me to, 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 to move in house and, uh, and take up that role with Qubit. Um, uh, but actually, was, I, I always thought like the recruitment side of things was, was what my, where my passion lay. But working in house, you really start to see how people develop uh, within an organization. Uh, and I think kind of watching Watching those career paths grow uh, and watching people move on to even bigger and better things uh, led me over to the people side. You know, I was really fascinated in what makes people tick, how organizations should be structured, uh, designed, and, uh, and and how you can have an impact uh, upon businesses uh, and the people in them. Fair enough. Um, I guess, what was the reason after, you know, having done those several in-house roles, what prompted you? What was the, the moment in time, the... I don't know, got a fell, fell over on a, on the on the pavement or something, as as a lot of scientists and and things do. Um, what was the moment in time that kicked you off to to starting your own thing? Yeah, I think so. I'd, I'd actually met up with my co-founder. I used to uh, I used to report to him. He was my boss uh, at Cubit um, about six seven years ago, uh, and we'd kept in touch uh, very closely since. Uh, and we we both worked for the scaling companies, and you know, quite frankly, we'd made plenty of mistakes uh, in those people roles. 
we certainly hadn't got anything anything right, but we we'd learned our lessons along the way. Um, and we both kind of come to, came together at the same time because we had this frustration um, that there, there were a lot of similarities in the pitfalls that these companies go through um, or, or traps that they fall into between kind of seed, series A, series B, series C. Uh, and we were like, look, why don't we try and solve this at not scale? Scale's the wrong word, right? You know, we can't we can't do this for a thousand companies in in one go. But at least have a little more reach than than just doing it for one business. And uh, and also we had that kind of fascination to see whether this was going to be the same in every business. What what problems do you see uh, across the board? And uh, I think we've worked with twenty-seven companies now over the last couple of years. And what are some of those challenges that you've seen? Yeah, I think you see. Uh, I mean, you, you get you get a ton of learnings from 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 working with so many different companies. Uh, I think the, uh, the 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 biggest ones that we really see across the board um, is is putting thing right things in at the right time. It, we kind of call it being like stage appropriate, right? Uh, if you're ten people, you don't need to be doing three sixty degree reviews every month. Kind of unnecessary. Why not? <laughs> why, why not? Yeah, exactly. Why not? Let's, let's just add some really bureaucratic processes uh, and a load of subjective feedback into the mix uh, when we don't even have product market fit, right? Um, yeah. And and also, you know, you work to Google, uh, but startups aren't Google, right? Um, yeah. And there's so many times dealt with founders who who kind of come to us and go, so I've read this article, read this HBR article um, about what Google have done, and I I I think we should try it, and you're like. Practices that work for a company of 10, 20, 30,000 aren't particularly effective when you're 50 people. Uh, it's just going to burden you, just going to be really, really painful. So we, we, always, we always kind of emphasize, like, uh, we have this, we, a lot of our work is focused around this idea of Ghoul's Law. Uh, I don't know if you come across it, Marissa. No, no. There's this idea that if you, if you try and build a complex system from scratch, it's pretty much destined to fail. Um, as anyone, uh, anyone who's tried knows, uh, if you go for the real deep complex version first, uh, it's going to be really painful to try to try and put that into practice. So we try and emphasize simplicity. So uh, a simple system has a far uh, greater likelihood of success. So uh, we try and get these companies to kind of get back to the first principles of like, what is the problem that you're trying to solve? Like, what are the issues uh, and outcomes that you see? What are the kind of first order effects? What are the second order effects? Uh, and how can we fix for that? As opposed to going, right, uh, let's put in uh, the WHO interview process. Uh, across the yeah. board for your company of 20 people uh, and suddenly uh, force you to do 20 hours of interviewing for every candidate that comes through. It's that principle like the MVP, the minimum viable product, like let's get out something and, you know, iterate, <laughs> launch, iterate, launch, iterate. A hundred percent. It's that minimum viable process, right? That's that's kind of the way, kind of the way that yeah. we think about it. Um, uh, and it's, you know, we, we kind of see some of the specific challenges that come out of it, uh, you know, titling, over titling too early, like calling someone ahead of um, uh, or uh, when they're not um, or under supportive managers, you know, promoting people into a management mm. role when they, when they a, don't have the confidence nor have the capability. So they're promoted too soon and they're kind of ineffective. Um, and then like that mission, vision, values and behaviours. I know um, uh, Nicholas talked, to, to, talked about it the other week. Mm. Uh, session with Matt right like it's so important to understand why you exist in the first place uh, and to really emphasize that to, to people coming into your businesses uh, as I'm so sure the team at Seed know. And not just as people are coming into your business but reinforcing yeah. that 
in all of the events that happen over the course of a month, a week, a year, whatever it might be. So, a hundred percent. Founders kind of often struggle with that. They're like, right, so I've got this. I've got. I've written down some values. Like, <laughs> what now? What do I do? What do we do with these? Right. I'm going to put them in a poster in the coffee room and never talk yeah. about them ever again. <laughs> or worse, I, I, I've seen. I've seen, I know of a company who spent sixty thousand on a marketing agency to to redo their values. They came up with ten values. They put them on a wall as a mural. Um, and then when they announced them to the team, someone stuck their hand up at the first all hands uh, and went, transparency is one of those values. And, and I'm pretty sure that that's not true. Right. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, you, you, you go down the line and like the, the values had to be super honest, super true. And you just have to embed them properly within the business. Right. Like, you know, with its progression or recruitment processes or performance reviews or recognition, like doesn't matter, like find ways to get that embedded. And I think you made the, the point earlier as well about keeping it simple. If the yeah. mission, vision and values are, you know, a, a thesis, it's, it's, no one can kind of take that in and make it their own, particularly if you, if you want to go beyond like a local market and you want to make it global, it needs to translate for people everywhere in the world, all different kinds of ages, diversity, et cetera. So the simpler it is, I've always found in the places I've worked, the, the more ingrained and the more adopted it is by the teams as well. So, yeah, yeah definitely. I think. That, that like those explanations are super important for that, right? As you yeah. said, that translation piece. Some companies are kind of right. Here's our here's a vision statement, but you really got to explain that to the team uh, yeah. and, and state what you mean when you say uh, say you have your vision. Mm. Um, so you've obviously learned a lot over the years with all of the different companies that you've been working with. If there was one single piece of advice that you would give to founders or people leaders or business leaders in in startups or scale ups. What would it be? What's that one nugget of truth that you would want them to all know? <laughs> I, I, I'm going to cheat and give uh, 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 and say two things, uh, obviously, okay. right? I'll let you do that. <laughs> uh, I, I think the first one is, uh, and we see see this uh, see this a lot, is uh, and I kind of touched on it already, is that idea of promoting someone to a manager role when they don't have the confidence or the kind of capability to be effective. Uh, and, and once they're there, once you've chosen the right people, like really support them, give them proper training. Not just kind of like, uh, here's some high level insights into what being a manager is, but like, what's the context like for your business? Uh, really get down into into the weeds of how uh, managers can, can be effective. Uh, and I think the, the other one is if someone is underperforming, just tell them early, like try and resolve it. We, we, we see this idea of like that perception gap. A manager's like, yes, this person definitely knows they should be fired. You sit there in the room, the person's getting fired. They have no idea. No idea. Uh, mm. Didn't see it coming, right? Uh, and people just hate having those difficult conversations. But the more you can train yourself to, to, to be confident uh, and comfortable having those conversations early, the far better it is for your business. And I think if you have them early, often they're not that difficult. Because yes, if you're absolutely. constantly giving feedback, whether it's the good feedback or the corrective feedback, you don't then sort of get to that six month or eight month period where you've got to sit down in front of somebody and, you know, potentially sort of discipline them because you've not held up your end of actually telling them what's going on for the last eight months. So, um, yes, yeah, like I, I once worked for a coffee company way, way back in the day um, and that we used to, uh, we had such a strong culture of feedback and it was kind mm -hmm. of part of when you first became a shift supervisor back in the day, it was 
almost the first training module that you did, apart from how to turn the alarm on and off and that kind of thing, was how to give feedback to people. And I think I was quite fortunate. I was quite still quite young at the time and just kind of became ingrained um, in my in my my way of operating and and bless them the the eleven wonderful people that that get to call themselves my team right now my direct reports they've had probably more feedback in the last six months than some of them might have had in their whole career but it's just how I operate and I think it avoids having those ugly conversations much further down the line. You also mentioned Absolutely. I mean I know you said that you would have two nuggets of truth I think your first one if there was one thing that people would take away, it's about that pr- promoting managers too soon. Um, you can get to a point, as, as happened in, in one of the, the tech companies that I worked in, where we were 10,000 people worldwide. We had about 3,000 managers, 75% of whom had never been a people manager before. <laughs> how do you scale a company <laughs> with managers who don't know how to manage teams? And exactly, right. being, being the best, salesperson or being the best product manager doesn't necessarily make you the best person to lead a team of salespeople or lead a team of product managers. So that was my big takeaway from from that business that we just often picked great performers, but they yeah. weren't necessarily going to be great managers. So, exactly. Like yeah. people management is such a such a skill, right? Uh, it's mm-hmm. it, it's kind of so important. There's a there's a company we heard about it's quite a large software company based out of Cambridge. Uh, they actually put people on a trial period for three months. So if you want to be a manager, uh, they let you try it out. Um, yeah. uh, uh, at the end of it, it averages about one or two in 10 actually want to then go wow. on. Manager, uh, which is great, right? Like, it's, it's an interesting way of doing it. Like, you, you know, testing and learning these things uh, is super important. And, uh, and you need to find ways and opportunities to, to also uh, allow those people who aren't becoming managers to then go and develop and develop as well. Like and have the career paths where you can be an individual contributor and still be a, you know, a senior principal as opposed to having to manage people to get to that same level, which I think a lot of companies make that mistake as well, that you can only go up a run on the on the hierarchy if you become a people manager. Um, oh. Cool. Um, so you talked about the nugget of truth, the amazing two things that you should know. Um, you know, be careful of promoting your managers too early, um, being one of them. What would you say is the biggest piece of BS advice that you've heard or that you've been, you know, that's circulating out there um, amongst the founders and, and leaders within tech startups? I, I think for me, it's uh, don't, don't measure the success of your company by the number of people in it. Uh, you know, that idea of kind of uh, re- having resources over resourcefulness uh, and, and, you know, I've been there, sat in board meetings where, uh, you know, you, you put the graph out and you're like, look, we're now X people uh, and now we've got more mm. people. No one's kind of questioning the, 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 the profit per employee um, uh, and actually actually digging that bit deeper. And it, you know what? It often comes down to a bit of an ego contest. A hundred percent. Look at me. I run a company that's got 50,000 people in it. hundred <laughs> percent, right? Uh, and it, 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 there are so many small, successful companies who've gone on to do great things. You know, mm. I, I, I'm picking a real obvious outlier, but like obviously WhatsApp got picked up and there were 50 people. Uh, I think uh, mm. Snapchat did, like became incredibly effective with a really small team, early doors. Uh, my understanding is Supercell kept things pretty tight as well. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, there are some amazing companies that have gone on to do great things with, without just hiring and hiring and hiring for the sake of it. Mm. And particularly if you're hiring and hiring and hiring and not managing, managing, managing and not giving feedback yeah. and feedback and feedback, like you just end Absolutely. up having 50,000 really bad people as opposed to 
20,000 really good ones. Yeah. Um, not where you want to be, right? The, exactly. Exactly. And you're, you're so right, like about the ego thing, you know, um, it's, it's so seen as being a, a status symbol to the point where I've worked with some, some organizations, particularly when you think about Western Europe, where there's a really big um, culture around interns and apprentices and sort of working yeah. students and that kind of thing, to the point where people were purposely bolstering the numbers of interns that they were hiring so that they could say that they had even more people, even oh, though most of them were interns that were being paid by the government. So you know, um, something that I came across a few years back. Um, what do you think is the right time, Matt, for early stage companies to bring in a talent or a people leader? Is there is it a headcount? Is it a time? Is it a revenue target? When's the right time to bring in that CPO or, or CTO, as they're sometimes called as well? Yeah, I think I think when you when you're thinking about the the, the talented people leader, we, we we kind of look at it. You know, it depends on company, it depends on sector, uh, it depends on capability mm-hmm. in that leadership team as well. You know, if some if an organisation's got uh, a strong uh, CEO who, do you know, it, it always is that we, the, the one we look for is uh, if you can balance empathy and candor really well as a leader, uh, and that's incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've seen this, I'm going to give a shout out to, uh, to, to a company that we've worked with, uh, White Hat. Uh, Sophie and mm-hmm. you are incredibly good uh, as co-founders at doing that. Um, but if you can do that, you can last a little bit longer uh, until you get that people leader in. But if you don't have that, and most, a lot don't, and it's it's not a kind of uh, necessarily a, a bad thing. It's just the, the natural state of play. Um, I think you do need to think about it a little bit earlier. Uh, on the on the talent mm-hmm. side, we usually suggest people. You know, you often see these heads of talent roles uh, where they're like, "Yes, we've got a head of talent in." And you're like, I'm "Pretty sure that person's 23." Um, uh, and, and a and recruiter who's <laughs> working an agency. Exactly what's right. Uh, we often, you know, often suggest companies to kind of rework that look for like a recruitment lead mm-hmm. first. Again, like reduce that titling, get that as an IC role um, before then thinking about the head of talent later or whether then they need a people person. Uh, I think we, we often see people kind of getting a bit stretched as a leadership team around 50, and that's where we, we see the recruiters starting to help a lot. Some do it earlier, say 2030, uh, and that's absolutely fine. Uh, and then the people person, you know, we, we often see that hire getting made kind of late series A as they're starting to step up to series B. Um, uh, and w- when you're, you know, nearing 100 people, uh, I think it ha- absolutely makes sense to have mm. a strong people leader in the organization. Someone that can really think about how you structure the business, how you structure career paths, what performance management looks like, like what is your reward and compensation philosophy? Not even just the, you know, the plan that you have in place, but mm. you know, how can we get get that insight from all of the senior leaders in the business? You know, I guarantee that your CRO and your CFO will have very differing opinions on that. Um, mm. So making sure that you, you kind of pull that stuff together is so important by the time you're, you're, you're hitting Series B uh, and definitely by 100 people. I think the the frustration that I've always had in and and I've you know talked to and and sort of on the side done some advisory work to to people who are who are setting up tech companies particularly um I lived I think you know this Matt I lived in Paris for a long time and and used to talk to people over there given that I was working with American companies in particular the thing that always frustrates me um I'm I'm awesome at Instagram right I Instagram all day long um I love making stories and captions and everything like that I'm not going to hire myself as the chief marketing officer um, because it is a profession with experience and skills and qualifications that that I don't have, even though I'm awesome at filters and, and snapping and all that kind of thing. 
and the, and the number of times that you talk to people and they're like, well, I've hired people before. I can be the chief people leader, you know. I know what I'm doing. And, yet, and I'm like, hang on a second. I'm not claiming to be something that I'm not. <laughs> yeah. The fact that you once wandered past a recruitment agency doesn't necessarily mean that you can be the CEO of, of you know, of an organisation with, with the responsibility of those people's careers and livelihoods. And the number Absolutely. of times I've said that to people and they look at me in abject horror <laughs> that that's the case. So. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. And uh, and actually, particularly on the recruitment front as well, the amount of founders I see who are like, well, I'm, I'm great at recruitment. I, I'm one of, you know, I hire the best people. And you sit in the interview and you're like, you're, you're really No, you don't. Really <laughs> <laughs> How on earth have you managed to hire? I'm amazed you've got anyone in the door. How have uh, you avoided lawsuits up to now sometimes? As far as, I guess, um, uh, you know your own kind of work in the in the HR tech space and and all of that kind of um, you know expertise that you have. For companies starting out, it can be really intimidating, um, and you can end up burning cash on all of these whiz bang sexy latest things. Obviously, you know you worked at Pecon, which I would not say is whiz bang and sexy because we use it and it is awesome. I have to say I'm a I'm a huge advocate. Um, what? How do you find out? How do you prioritize? Who do you talk to about? what the best HR tech stack is? So we actually, I, 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 on the side, you know, just because I have spare time between, uh, you know, running a business and a kitten and a child. Raising a child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I, I co-founded and uh, run a community called DVR, um, which is yep. uh, talent and HR leaders from across Europe and, uh, and actually lots in APAC and, and the US. Mm -hmm. I think like, I've learned so much from other people, from my peers in that group. Mm -hmm. uh, and often in there, there are lots of discussions around the kind of tooling that you need. Uh, again, when we when we go into early stage companies, uh, it depends on their needs at the time. But commonly, you're looking at like get your ATS in place, get that early, make sure that your recruitment process is just sorted and done. Um, you mm -hmm. know, for that we often say like go for workable early doors. Um, it's mm -hmm. tough to to use that when you've got over a hundred requisitions, but most companies don't or shouldn't. Mm -hmm. To our point earlier. Um, then you can look at things like smart recruiters or level or greenhouse when you grow up uh, mm. a little bit down the line, but workforce mm. uh, for your atris, like get Charlie HR or humans in place. Um, again, mm -hmm. like is great, but that's a bit further down the line when you're in that scaling phase. Um, and mm -hmm. once you've got those two, that's a very good start. Something like lattice mm -hmm. is nice for covering off one-to-ones and performance management. Uh, we're always mm -hmm. impressed with that one, uh, but otherwise, you know, what does a really good job spreadsheets. <laughs> Just use Google Docs, <laughs> right? <laughs> Spreadsheets can get you such a long way. You know, if you're trying to do any analysis, like pull down your data from Charlie HR and go and analyze it properly using a spreadsheet. Uh, if you're a people leader and you don't have that kind of commercial knowledge, which, you know, I could talk about for hours is actually my biggest mm -hmm. issue with most people leaders that we, we come across mm -hmm. is, is a lack of commercial nous. Uh, there are some mm -hmm. great ones we work with uh, and they all have it, right? They mm -hmm. understand the business uh, and they understand how to, to analyze data and use a spreadsheet well um, but you, like really level yourself up on that if you're a people person uh, and learn how to, to do some basic analysis that's going to be useful for the business for the board uh, and useful for the for the core finance team trying to do their forecasting 
Excellent. Um, one final question, because we're, we're coming up to time here. Um, in our session with Nico from Platypus last week, we talked about the importance of hiring for culture ad. And it's a, a theme that has come up in, in all of the episodes and, and other conversations that we've had with leaders um, and founders over the past few months, particularly since we've all been in this crazy new world that we live in now. Um, when it comes to scaling teams at early stages, the idea of culture ad, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think I think it's incredibly important. Uh, I, th I think this is why we, when we when you look at vision, mission, values, we always dig that one level deeper to behaviours. Always encourage that so that you can build out the attitudes and the behaviours that that make people effective in your company. Because those attitudes cut across uh, class, gender, race, uh, and that you can really use them uh, to start to to drive a more effective uh, hiring process, which allows you to to, to find people. Uh, that can bring new things to to your culture. Um, uh, again, it's not. It's, it, it, I agree with that idea of add not fit, um, which yeah. is culture fit has obviously been something that's it's been pretty common for a while. Um, but that just obviously builds really homogenous teams. So if you if you're okay. actually committed to building a diverse organization, work out like two or three core behaviors uh, and start to to prioritize those in your hiring process instead of universities that people went to, uh, instead of the company they worked at last or their friends, the fact that their brother exactly. is your ex-girlfriend's sister. Oh, all that kind of 100%, thing. right? <laughs> Matt, we're in the in the final closing seconds, is there any parting thoughts, parting wisdom that you'd like to share with us before we finish up today? Um, I think the, you know, the, 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 the one thing I would love uh, all, all scaling companies to be thinking about is like keep things simple. Where possible, don't overcomplicate things. It comes down to that, like uh, overcomplication and lack of communication uh, are the two biggest issues we see in scaling companies. Like actually mm -hmm. find a way to surface information, use that information to, to talk to people uh, and, and make a change and make a difference. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. it, it's kind of stuff that, uh, that that sees me banging my head against a wall uh, and, you know, that hurts after a while. So. <laughs> yeah, I wish it would be better. That's why at that. there's a hole in your ceiling just behind you. Yeah, all that. Much, exactly. <laughs> like, that, that skylight was just, you know, that was just made by me. <laughs> well, uh, Matt, uh, proving that the best people in the universe have the initials MB, it has been absolutely great to chat to you this morning. Um, we could probably keep talking about this for hours on end because you sure. certainly touched. <laughs> You've certainly touched on some some really important points for me, and and you know it's it's great. It's always you don't want to just have people that you agree with all the time, but it is nice to know that there are other people out there that that have gone through the same kinds of experiences that I've had, and um, and I'm sure you feel the same. Um, in particular, love that comment that you made and that that point that you made about firstly having those difficult conversations early on, and also making sure that you support your managers. Um, you know, in the places that I've worked, couldn't agree more with those two points being critical for early stage companies. So thank you so much for getting up early and chatting with us, wrangling toddlers, kittens and all kinds of things at your place this morning. Ooh.